The Lord be with you. Uh, just to clarify, my daughter is the one who held up the Mariners uh, uh, thing. She's never seen a uh, game of baseball in her life. Doesn't even know that that's a baseball team. So just wanted to clarify. Uh, that was actually kind of the perfect illustration uh, for how we begin. Amanda obviously kind of knew where we were going this morning. Uh, but I have to kind of admit, um, I was having some difficulty this week, kind of trying to figure out, like, how am I going to start this sermon? How are we going to talk about these kinds of things? Uh, partly because one of the things we're talking about is this idea of belonging, uh, this idea of what does it mean to relate to each other, what does it mean to be a community. And so much of our life, so much of how we function is split into these different teams, Right? Like, what a perfect illustration how much we, we want to be a part of this group or that group or this group or that group. We are so divided kind of in all the ways we engage with culture. And so I was having this hard time, and I had uh, a potential idea for, uh, you know, an uh, uh, illustration. Uh, and, but I was like, it's just not sitting well with me. And so uh, in our drive home, I was talking to Pastor Britt, and I said, okay, here's kind of what I'm thinking. What do you think about that? It was like a, an illustration about being in a garage band in high school, right? Like, it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Uh, and so, but it was like very kind to listen, like, oh yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. Uh, but afterwards I said, it's like, what do you think about that? And she said, you know, I don't know that that really gets at the fullness of what you're trying to communicate. Like, it's okay, but it's not really getting at the full thing. And I so appreciated that because she was absolutely right. Like, I was like, okay, that's super helpful. And then <laughs> it struck me uh, in the great irony that that itself, that conversation was the perfect illustration for this morning. So we're kind of in this like meta space where I was, had an idea for an illustration and then asking about the illustration actually became the illustration. But let me explain what I mean. So we've been uh, in this series on listen. And so the first uh, three weeks, we were kind of asking this essential question, why do we listen? Why does it matter that we listen to God? And we looked at the book of Proverbs. And then the last four weeks, we've been looking at the calling of the prophets and asking this question, what happens when we listen to God? And realizing that a lot of times it doesn't go the way that we'd hope or that we'd expect or that we even really want it to go. And so we've been kind of asking that question, what happens when we listen to God? And so today, we're turning the corner on kind of the last part of this series of listening and what happens when we listen to God together as a church? What happens when we listen to God in the context of community? And so I realized that this was a perfect illustration because I could go to my wife, I could go to Pastor Britta and say, what do you think about that? Like, this isn't sitting great with me. I don't know if this is making sense. Can you help me understand? Did I hear correctly? Am I, am I listening well? You see, I think sometimes when we, we talk about listening to God, we think about kind of a, a deeply peaceful spot of praying and uh, our relationship with God kind of one-to-one, -one, but we don't listen to God in a vacuum. Right? One of the greatest gifts that God has given us is this community, this church community, the people in our life that we can go and say, does this make sense to you? Can you help me understand this? I, I don't know if I'm hearing this correctly. Can you help me? Now, admittedly, this is not always easy. And sometimes we don't really get answers that we really would like. And there is still something beautiful about listening to God in the context of community that God has given us, the context of being together for the purposes of helping us to understand and to listen well. 
And so as we were thinking about, okay, how do we want to kind of frame this series, uh, Pastor Brenda and I were talking, and she thought the, the book of 1 Corinthians would be a good book for us to center on in this, these next four weeks. Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Now, we looked at Paul a bunch this summer as we looked through the book of Acts, and Paul was this apostle who'd been appointed by God to go and spread the good news of the gospel that Jesus was for people to everybody everywhere. Right? We, do you remember we talked about kind of the expansion of your known universe, that, that Paul's task was to go to the ends of the earth to deliver the good news about Jesus. And so one of those places that Paul went to was the city of Corinth. And so Paul would then go back and he would write these letters to the people so that he would continue to encourage them. And so the city of Corinth is one of these places and the book or the letter of 1 Corinthians is one of those letters. Now, one of the main reasons that Paul is writing this letter to the first, uh, to, not to the first Corinthians, they are the Corinthians, but it's the first letter he writes. The first letter he writes to this group of people is because they're having some problems as a community. They're having some disagreements. They're, they're picking teams. There's factionalism that's happening. And Paul's main point in trying to help this community understand is the community is essential to your identity as a follower of Jesus. To be a part of one another is to be a part of me. It is essential that you remain connected as a community. And so Paul, in writing this letter to the Corinthians, is actually really addressing the church as a whole. And so we felt like this is a really good kind of book for us to kind of center on. Another thing that Paul does that's helpful for us as we're kind of thinking over these next four weeks is Paul invites people to reimagine their thinking. In a lot of the world in which uh, Paul went and extended the gospel, the good news, uh, he went to these communities that were all about thinking and all about kind of reasoning and, and what, what good thoughts might they have. And so one of Paul's methods is, I want to invite you to reimagine how you think about how life works. I want you to reimagine what community could look like. So much of life is divided, and this team, and that group, and this ideology, and that theological position. And I want you to think about what does it mean to reimagine what community looks like. What does it look like for us to be together even when we disagree? And so this is Paul's primary motivation in the book of Corinthians, or this letter to the Corinthians. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, uh, to take it out and to follow along with me. Uh, Pastor Britta does this, and I think it's really helpful. Uh, it's in the New Testament, so there's not very many pages at the end in your Bible. Uh, it comes after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then there's Acts and Romans, and it's the next book right after that, 1 Corinthians. And we're going to start in verse 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. It'll also be up on the screen in just a moment. Uh, 1 Corinthians, we're going to begin in verse uh, 10 of chapter 1. Paul kind of does his normal, hello, I greet you, hi, I'm Paul. He gives thanks to all the people because they're wonderful, and so he's saying, I thank my God for all of you. And then he kind of jumps in to this issue that the church in Corinth is having, which is this factionalism. We belong to this group or this group or this group. Okay, Here's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. <laughs> Hilarious. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, to give the good news of Jesus, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul is writing to a community that has chosen to center on its differences and allow that to create divisions. I think this, and I think that, and I think this. Can you think of any parallels to our world today? <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps any of these parallels that exist within the confines of a church or church communities. This is a compelling and a convicting word for us to receive today. And, and I do want to encourage us that a part of what we're getting at is we're kind of asking this question in this third part. What happens when we listen to God as a church? And what Paul is doing here is kind of this admonition as we start this kind of last part of this series to hear Paul's call that being a community is a call. It's not easy, but it's a part of what it means for us to follow Jesus. So here's what Paul says at the very beginning. He says, I appeal to you. Literally, I, my heart goes out to you, brothers and sisters. Now, when he says, my heart goes out to you, brothers and sisters, the word he uses there is this word adelphos, which deals with the kind of relationship of a familial love, right? So Paul is doing two things by that. First of all, he's describing the tone of how he's writing this letter. He is saying, I am like a brother to you. You are like my family. You are my sisters and my brothers. This is a familial relationship. And the second reason he does that is because he's trying to hold up to them. You are like a family, right? You are sisters and brothers. This is a, a deep kind of commitment that you might not have even chosen, but that you remain connected to each other whether you want to or not. Right? He uses this idea, this familial love, to talk about the kind of community they are to be about. Right? Like this, is, this is something we hear in the church all the time. Oh, my sister, my brother, like we talk about that a lot. That's from Paul. For those people, that, what do you mean they're my sister or my brother? Right? Paul is inviting them to this deeply theological idea that they actually would relate to each other as if they were family. And so Paul says, I appeal to you, my family, my sisters, and my brothers, not to be divided among you. Literally what he says is that there wouldn't be any tears in the garment of your relationships. That there wouldn't be any rips in this fabric of being a family of God. And he says that you would be perfectly united. Now I have to admit, when I hear that perfectly united, I'm a perfectionist. And I'm like, that is unattainable. There is no way that we can be perfectly united. By human standards, that is absolutely true. And this is the reimagining, the invitation that Paul extends to the community. By human standards, by human wisdom, being perfectly united is not possible. And yet, there is something miraculous that God calls us to in the context of following Jesus in community. And so this word that's used there for this uh, perfectly united it's used some other places in the Bible, and specifically at the beginning in the New Testament in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And this word united, perfectly united, is used when Jesus is walking along the shore, and he's calling some disciples to come and follow him, and he sees these brothers, James and John. 
And James and John, it says, are on the beach and they are mending their nets. They are preparing their nets for fishing. This word for mending or preparing is the same word for perfectly united. Does a fishnet work if it has holes in it? Not very well, right? Doesn't work great. Paul's call to the church in Corinth is I want you to be mended together like a net. Something that you have to be made complete. And if you miss one of each other, it doesn't work. It's incomplete. There are holes in the fabric of your relationships. And so when Paul says that I want you to be made complete, I want you to be perfectly united, Paul is inviting the people that everybody needs to be at the table. Everybody needs to have a voice in the conversation. It doesn't mean that all of these things are going to make sense. It doesn't mean we're even going to like what everybody has to say. But if someone leaves, we're missing something. The net has become broken. We are no longer united. We are no longer made complete. You see, so much of the world... So much of the world wants to define our life by differences, and those differences divide us. And this incredible reimagination that Paul is casting to the Corinthian church is, I actually think your differences will bring you together. You aren't made complete unless your differences come together. Do you see how dramatically different that is? That's like completely different than any other way we organize ourselves in life. Can you think of anywhere else where it's like your differences are going to be the thing that bring you together? Right? Like that doesn't exist. This is a dramatically different way of thinking about the world. And so Paul says that there's been some quarrels among you. And I've heard about these kind of groups, these factions that you've broken yourself into. Some of you have said, I uh, follow Paul. So Paul is talking obviously about himself there. Some have said, I follow Paul, the apostle. Others have said, I follow Apollos. Now, Apollos, he was uh, someone that we've heard in, uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 18, Apollos was a, a God-fearing Jew and was someone that came and was very, very skilled at preaching. So he was a good orator. And so he went to Corinth, and so some people heard Apollos, like, wow, this guy can really preach. So they followed Apollos. It says, still others followed Cephas. Now, Cephas is another word for rock, which refers to the apostle Peter. Now, Peter was one of the original 12 apostles, and Peter was considered kind of the de facto leader of the early church. So they follow the real leader of the church. Do you see how these factions are kind of breaking up the opposite of what they were called to do, to be together, to be unified? And what, what it actually literally means to say that they follow someone, the, the way it's actually written in the original language of Greek is, I am of Right? To follow Paul, to follow Cephas, to follow Apollos, I am of. That's like a belonging issue. That's an identity issue. To say that you follow this person, to say that you follow Paul or Cephas or Apollos, is to say that you are a part of that person. Right? This is an issue of belonging. This is an issue of identity. And so the people in Corinth have fractured in their listening. Right? Their listening has become fractured and they've started to say, I'm a part of this camp and I'm a part of that camp and I'm a part of this camp. Now the fourth camp, this is my favorite and whew, this one will really get you between the eyes. I belong to Christ. I, oh, I belong to Jesus. Now that is the right thing to say. Right? This is the group of people that said the right thing. But they said, I belong to Christ at the exclusion of everybody else who doesn't think and act and function the way that I do. 
Can you think of any ways in which we have used the name of Jesus for our own perspective, for our own theological stance, for our own interpretation? Well, what does the word of God have to say about that? All the variety of denominations, right? Think about how, how much we have staked a claim that I belong to Jesus. I went to a, a Christian college, uh, and we called this kind of line of thinking a Jesus juke, right? <clears throat> a Jesus juke. So, uh, you know, well, God told me I was supposed to do this, right? That, that, who can win? I cannot tell you how many relationships on that campus ended because, well, you know, God told me I needed to break up with you. Come on, right? Like that, that is so, we have to be so careful. We have to be so careful with how we hold this truth. Yes, this is the living word of God. Yes, this is where we discover how we engage uh, with God and with community and with truth. This is absolutely the living word of God. But when we have staked the claim that we belong to Jesus means more that Jesus belongs to us, we have gotten it entirely wrong. Right? When we use this as a, a way to frame our own ideal or our own theological position or our own politics, that we have said, I belong to Jesus, which is really a way of saying, Jesus belongs to me. We have gotten it backwards. And Paul says as much. Paul says, can Christ, he literally says, can, can Christ be cut up and parceled out to people? You get a little Jesus, and you get a little Jesus, and you get a little Jesus, and you get a little Jesus. See, the problem with that is, I can bring my little Jesus wherever I want him to go. And my little Jesus will, will believe exactly what I believe, and he'll think exactly like I think, and he'll vote exactly like I vote, and he'll have the same theological position that I do. Little Jesus can go wherever I want him to go. And Paul is saying, that's not how this works. You belong to Jesus. Right? Jesus doesn't belong to you. We all belong to Jesus. Jesus can't be cut up and parceled out. We belong to Christ, all of us all of our differences. And if we leave, if we don't talk about these things, if we don't do the hard work of reconciliation, then the garment is ripped and we are divided and God calls us to be made complete, a net that is brought together. And so then, then Paul in this brilliant, I mean, Paul's a brilliant, brilliant communicator. He talks about baptism. Right, Paul talks about baptism. He says, I'm so, like, did you get baptized into my name? I don't think so. I'm so glad that I only baptized Crispus and Gaius. Now, a quick aside, because this is like too funny not to talk about. Um, <laughs> Paul goes on to say like, well, I suppose I also baptized Stephanus in his household. But besides that, like I didn't baptize anybody else that I know of, right? Uh, I, I don't know for sure, but this is just kind of my wondering. And I, it's a holy wondering that's probably unholy, but here we go anyways, because I think it's funny. Uh, <laughs> so when Paul wrote these letters, right, it wasn't necessarily him that was always writing things down. A lot of times there would be a scribe, which is a person who was maybe better at handwriting. I would need a scribe because my handwriting is indiscernible, right? So uh, it would be a scribe who would write down these letters. And we know that 1 Corinthians is one of these letters because at the end he says, now I write to you with my own hand, right? So he's been communicating to a scribe and at the end he's like, this is my own hand. And I just love to think about this idea. <laughs> Paul is kind of dictating this letter to the Corinth, Corinth and to the people in Corinth. And he's telling a scribe, you know, I only baptized Gaius and Crispus. Well, I also maybe baptized Stephanus, but beyond that, it doesn't really matter. And the scribe's like, I also baptized Stephanus, and beyond that, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and later on, Paul is like, you put that in there? Are you kidding me? That made it into the Bible. Come on, man. 
Like, I just think it's hilarious that this scribe, eh, whatever, uh, like, so goofy. But I think it's helpful for a couple reasons. First of all, that makes this so much more human to me, right? Like, this is a real person. This is a real guy talking to another real person who's writing this down, talking to a real group of people. Like, it's so easy to be so distanced and removed because we're, like, thousands of years later from this. Like, Paul was actually talking to somebody who was writing this letter to send this to a group of people who were mucking it up, right? He's like, no, this is real. Like, these are real people. The other thing is, as you read that, it can kind of sound like Paul's like, man, who cares about baptism? But that would miss the point entirely. What Paul is doing is he's using the, the sacrament of baptism, this holy sacrament that God has called us to in this idea of belonging, and he's brought these things together. And what he says is, it doesn't matter who baptized you, right? Like if I baptized you or someone else baptized you or Stephanus or Gaius or anybody else who baptized you, the person baptizing you, it's not about them. It's who you are baptized into, right? It's not about the person doing the thing. It's about the person whom you belong to. This is about Jesus. This is, this is a brilliant description, Right, to use this idea of baptism, that it's about the person we're baptized into. It's about the content of what's happening, not the person doing the action. And so Paul says the same thing. You've missed the point. You fractured in your listening. Because it isn't about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. You've mistaken the messenger for the message. And the message is you belong to Jesus, which means you belong together. And baptism is the perfect illustration for that. One of the things we love to get to do as pastors is, is baptize, but it's just because we get to marvel at what God is doing. Right? When you come in the sacrament of baptism, there's this, this unbelievable kind of identity thing that happens. It's not that it's uh, salvation itself, but what it proclaims is that you are leaving an old identity behind that your new identity is in Jesus and that we are one in Jesus. There is one baptism. We are all one in Christ. And so Paul says, when you do this action, when you are baptized, remember your baptism. You're all one. You are made complete. Do you see how powerful of an image that is? Paul gives a sacramental view to a divided world. Right? He says, you have been made holy and a part of my family. You are a part of Jesus' family. This isn't about me. It's not about the person who did it. It's not the person who told you the good news. It's about the good news. It's about Jesus. You see, when we make this about anything else, when we make this about anything else, about a certain leader, about a certain preaching style, a musical style, we make it about a theological position, a, a political agenda. When we make this about anything other than Jesus, it all falls apart. It becomes fractured. The, the cloth is ripped apart and there's fraying in our relational garment. And Paul says, don't do that. But this takes work. This takes reimagining things in an entirely different kind of way. Right? This is a, a holy imagination that says, could you in fact not be in different factions, but could you belong to Jesus? And Paul goes on to say that I've been called to baptize, not to baptize, but to preach, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So what happens when we do this, what happens when we seek to remain connected in community, 
not in spite of, but because of our differences, when we still choose to come to the table together, the world is going to be like, what are you doing? Right? This looks like foolishness to the rest of the world. Your leader was crucified. Like, you're done. What are you doing? Why, why are you putting people under the water? What is that about? Why on earth are you breaking bread and pouring a cup? What are you doing? And at the same time, I am convinced that one of the greatest opportunities we have to witness to those around us is to be committed to following Jesus together. Could you imagine people paying attention? Why are you doing that? But, but really, why are you doing that? Why are you still continuing to be with people that don't think the way that you do? Like, shouldn't you just send them a Facebook message instead? Why, why are you with people that might think a different thing than you think? Why are you gathered with people that speak a language that don't speak the language that you do? Why, why are you gathered with a group of people who have all of these differences and yet somehow you're being made complete together? That is the greatest witness we have to the world. If we remain connected in community because of our differences, think about what a compelling Christian community that is, that we belong to Jesus. You don't belong to this person or that idea or that politic. You belong to Jesus. And because you belong to Jesus, you belong in community with each other. Now, I have to admit, I am incredibly grateful to be a part of this community, to be a part of what's happening here at Newport, because I can attest and I can witness that I see this happening all over the place. Right? Did you see how many kids were up here this morning? My goodness. And how they're interacting. They're a part of us, right? They're here with us most of the morning. We are following Jesus together with our kids. Our junior high students got to go on a retreat a couple, or last weekend to Thunder. And they were with other retreaters and other people from other churches. And they were gathered together, following Jesus together. On Wednesday nights, when we gathered together for meals over in the kind of overflow room, I love that it isn't just, I mean, it is sometimes, but it's people that aren't, they don't know each other necessarily, but they're breaking bread together. They're getting to know each other. There's so many stories of these like really cool kind of connections that have happened because people just chose to sit at the table together. I, I'm seeing this happening on Wednesdays. After that, we have a, a racial righteousness discipleship group. And the kinds of conversations that are happening about how are we seeking to be reconciled? How are we reconciling? How can we come to Jesus to belong together? It's miraculous. The way that I see new people welcomed into this community, people that have been a part of this community for decades, oftentimes when someone's new, it's a high priority for us as pastors to make a connection, to get to have a relationship with those people that are newer. But by the time I have a conversation, most of the time, I am the fourth or fifth person that's talked to that person. That's remarkable. That's following Jesus together. As I've seen newer people coming and interacting with each other, I mean, it's just like this only works if we all seek to may, remain committed to following Jesus together. Now, I want to be clear lest we be misunderstood. This does not have to do with Pastor Britta or myself or Pastor Scott or Pastor Mary or any of our other leaders. We are grateful that we get to be a part of it and we are honored to be leaders in this community. But it is not because of us. This is happening because of God. Because Jesus is the leader of the church. 
Right? Jesus leads this church. Jesus leads all this church. It's not because of Newport Covenant Church. We're not like the, the only one and we get to be the best. We are a part. We belong to Jesus together. And when we belong to Jesus together, what happens when we listen as a church is we actually follow Jesus together. And that is like miraculous and mysterious and like mind-blowing. And people notice. And they're like, what are you doing? And so this only works if we all seek to follow Jesus together. But one of the things I've so appreciated about Pastor Mary, I didn't ask her this permission so she can tell me later if I shouldn't say this, but uh, <laughs> she's talked about this idea, that, this idea between centered set and a bounded set. And a bounded set said, here are the boundaries and you have to stay within these confines. And sometimes I think that's how we've talked about kind of groups, right? That you're in this group and here you are a Seahawks fan and so here are the, the kind of parameters behind how you do these things. But a centered set flips it on its head and it says there's this thing at the center, Jesus, and we all move closer to Jesus. And the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to each other. And as we do that, we're going to probably bump shoulders and we're going to stub toes, right? This is not easy. This is, reconciliation work is really, really difficult. And it's the call of the gospel. You belong to Jesus. You are sisters and brothers, and so you belong together in community, following Jesus together. Together. 